Hello, everyone, and welcome back. This is Ends with Z. I'm Juan Fernandez, along with Cecile Munoz. And, uh, you know, we often talk about unpacking ideas, thoughts, ways of thinking here on our podcast. We want to understand and we want to make sense of things that we come across in our daily lives. Isn't that right, Cecile? It is. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of the things we seem to keep talking about is how do we... How do we find more capacity mm -hmm. to handle what keeps coming at us? It seems like COVID is never ending. Mm -hmm. uh, things keep changing and not as fast and sometimes too fast. And what I'm finding uh, that I'm uh, saying often is, how can I take on more? How can I push through this? How can I tolerate this? I also find myself saying, I can't. I can't, I can't even take that on I was going to say the other side of the coin are people who say, I, I can't take any more. This, mm -hmm. is, this is enough. I, I was speaking to somebody recently that during COVID, I just had lunch with a friend of mine. Um, his sister died from COVID. Oh, my gosh. Shortly after that, his uh, brother-in-law married to another sister died from COVID. And then one of the sister's houses was broken into and they stole like $15,000 in cash and they stole some gold because they had some gold in the house. And it's he, he was just like, I don't know how much else mm -hmm. my family can take. And he sent them a little money to see what he could do. Mm -hmm. um, I was feeling like like I had some, some someone pushing on yeah. my chest just hearing his story yeah. that, um, yeah. Because we empathize and we sympathize because all yeah. of us have our own stories. But mm -hmm. part of the reason why this uh, podcast mm -hmm. was created is to be able to share uh, our own experiences right. and that of our friends and people mm -hmm. at large but because we are who we are we always <laughs> want to find a path forward and we yes. want to be able to support each other and finding ways to cope not only cope but really find tools that we can exercise that can help us go beyond the pain or beyond mm -hmm. the challenge or beyond the the goal into reality and find ways to to be able to to persevere to to be uh, one of my favorite words is resilient how do we move on from right. that and to talk about that in some real uh, meaningful ways and with uh, really wonderful ideas we have asked one of our favorite uh, <laughs> psychotherapists here in Los Angeles but beyond uh, one of the as we found out the last time that we spoke to John Silampares that one of the benefits of COVID I think is that therapists are now far more accessible um, via zoom or phone or other methods other than an office so John welcome back thank you for joining us thank you for having me again so what we wanted to get your perspective on is, mm -hmm. is resilience. I do hear that, and I've been, I guess, lucky to hear that in my life. Cecilia, you're so resilient. You always keep going. You always have a positive attitude. And, and so I looked it up, and, and obviously there's lots of different definitions, mm -hmm. and it's always evolving. And uh, so psychologists, from what I was able to look up, uh, that they uh, define resilience as the process of adapting well in the face of adversity. And whether it's trauma or tragedy and, or loss or uh, personal, professional, and as I'm saying those things, I'm thinking, check, 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 check. We're all going <laughs> through that. So we'd love to hear your thoughts on, on resilience. How can we be more resilient as individuals? And, and start with, how do you define mm -hmm. resilience? Well, over the years, I've realized that, um, and this is myself included, that resilience can mean many things. It's being stoic, it's being durable, it's being adaptable, um, having tolerance. Mm -hmm. But um, for most people, and some of them don't know it, all the resilience definitions come down to one thing. And it sounds cliche, but it's really a process. Well, it starts with a process. And it's really about looking more from the inside 
than the outside. In other words, it's a process of like heightening our awareness, especially our self-awareness, to the fact that I can't control my externals and I can't control mm-hmm. my world, but I can respond to the world a little bit differently. That and, is so interesting that you say, mm-hmm. of course, the minute you say tolerance, or mm-hmm. I heard tolerance and patience, I, I, I have almost a, a, an emotional, a visceral rela- reaction because that's what I feel I, I am so severely depleted on. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems like it's what I, one of the things that I need to tap into, we need to tap into. To right, and everyone's been challenged with that mm-hmm. this year because we've been in sort of chronic uh, type of um, uh, anxiety and stress ongoing. And so, so if this is sort of the way we empower ourselves with having that focus sort of on the inside because hence resilience is being empowered because this way I'm not a victim of the ups and downs of life. Mm-hmm. And, and we know there's going to be many. So the beginning of this self-awareness journey and cultivating resilience is focusing on the vital adaptive function called the threat response. Mm-hmm. Now, they used to call that the fight or flight or freeze response yes. system. So it's starting to evolve into calling it the threat response. And the threat response is the body's own and its evolutionary proof uh, survival mechanism. And that's why we're all still here through mm-hmm. the millennia. You know, we've survived. All sentient beasts have it, even insects. And some people think that plants and trees have them too. So self-awareness that I'm speaking about involves emotional self-regulation skills. And that's what we teach people in therapy. It, it's Emotional regulation skills. That, that's a great way to think about it because um, I'll tell you, when I hear resilience, I feel that my my word association is mm-hmm. immediately I have to be strong, I have to move forward, I mm-hmm. have to... Made of Teflon, Yeah, right? face mm-hmm. the challenges. Right. All words that I identify and is part of mm-hmm. my my Cecile identity. Mm-hmm. And in, in, in a time of what we've gone through, mm-hmm. it's, it can be very challenging for some people. And I like the way you frame it because I think one of the very first times that we spoke, I think it was episode 18 of mm-hmm. September 23rd of 2020, we were talking about the COVID mind. We were talking about mm-hmm. How, mm-hmm. Do we, how do we cope with this? How do we regulate our emotions? How do we find capacity to deal with? And so, um, it's coming back from having good mental health. And this is one, That's I right. would say, key component. Right. So remember, adap- or not. adaptability is not necessarily about strength or about smarts. It's about ability to adapt and deal with change. And COVID was a big change. Mm-hmm. And it may not go away. I mean, each month it's different, but it's, it's adapting to change. So again, so getting back to the self-regulation skills, it means that you first acknowledge and you accept that everyone possesses this threat response mm-hmm. mechanism. And one, it has to be respected. Um, and then you know, we can learn how to deactivate the threat response. That's the goal. The goal is not to make it go away, but minute by minute, like I can let go of control right now. I can't control everything in this minute. That's the way I deactivate that. Mm-hmm. You can't make it go away because then you would have been hit by a car a long time ago. You would never have gone to the doctor. You would never have taken care of yourself. So it's something you want to learn to coexist with. And even in COVID times, when we're chronically anxious and scared and have been for a period of time, we have to remember that we're not weak or inferior about it. It's that we're simply stuck in threat response. One thing I noticed um, with being resilient, and and especially with this latest um, variant uh, of COVID, the Omicron variant, when I went back to Florida for the holidays, more and more of my mother's friends were starting to come down with 
with COVID. Mm -hmm. And the more people had it, the more in a group that they felt that they didn't feel alone. You know what I mean? Sure. I think that they, they did feel more resilient. They felt okay because there was this sort of support group, whether, whether or not you had it or not, but, oh, okay, you know, I know uh, Carol has it and Tom has it and Bob has it. Um, I'm not alone. Right. We call that universality. That's why group therapy works so well. That's why 12-step works so well Mm -hmm. because I'm not so alone. There's all these other people that feel exactly the way that I feel. And that's something I was going to mention later, so I'll come back to that is, you know, who are my supports? And if I don't have any because I don't talk to my family, I don't have friends, if you want to build resilience, you can't live in a vacuum. You have to reach out and find people. And there's so many opportunities to do that. And it's okay to to feel weak or to look for help when you need it. Right, so again, building uh, resilience is also um, accepting that nothing's wrong with me. I'm just stuck in threat response. This is an evolutionary, you know, natural um, uh, adaptive function that protects me. And I have to enact my natural You're just stabilizer. being human. We're right. just being at the various exactly. human. And it's interesting, as you were saying that, Juan, I was thinking, well, what was different this year when you went to Miami than last year? And I think the, just the prolonged nature, uh, the, in 2020, when we heard someone say, oh, so-and-so Bob has COVID, immediately I know that I would think, what was he doing? Was he not? There was almost a sense of blame and yeah, you did yeah. something wrong mm-hmm. and shame. And and now, uh, to to your point of universality, well, we're all in this together. All of us are going through this. Mm-hmm. I'm not perhaps acting inappropriately or or I'm, I, I shouldn't be um, singled out for this. So... If we all have, and I, I, I love to, to hear that we are all born resilient or the capacity to be resilient, if I'm paraphrasing it right. Mm-hmm. So what comes first? So are, if, we're, if we're born with this ability, do we have to go through trauma to learn how to be resilient or, or can we be resilient? Are some people born right. more resilient mm-hmm. than others? Is it nature, nurture? There's still nothing concrete about it. We don't know if it's chicken or egg. Um, some people are born with susceptibility to be a little bit more anxious. Mm-hmm. And again, see, even just saying that, that sounds like I'm, like I'm pathologizing yeah, yeah. somebody. But my brother and I are a good example. And you know, my brother's the most laid back guy in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, I'm generally an anxious person. I'm your garden variety neurotic kind of person. <laughs> Smoking like a true New Yorker, right? (laughs) And my other brother and I used to say that maybe my mom, you know, had an affair with the milkman. And that's why that's why my brother, my little brother came out because he's so different than everybody. He's so laid back. So that's a good argument for uh, the nature. But Mm -hmm. the nurture is big, too. So 51 percent, 48, I mean, 49 percent. I'm not sure. But I think it's a combination of both. Because remember, when your threat response is enacted, uh, your executive brain function goes mm-hmm. out the window. You're offline. Mm-hmm. And so think of being that way for the last two years. And I, it's hard to manage it. So yeah. the skill is to live with it and manage it in best way you can, in the best way you can, where you're going to manage the ups and downs instead of beating yourself up or criticizing somebody else for having a rough day mm-hmm. or, by, or worried about COVID. It's, it's, it's so different instead of that, to say, you know what? Ah, there goes my threat response. I'm in threat response. I need five minutes, guys. I'm going to pull back. And we all know that one person who is just so resilient. uh, They get ill or or, or I I see these stories. and I I think to myself, I need to be more like that person where they're diagnosed with this very aggressive form of cancer. And, you know, the 
kick cancer's butt or kick, yeah. kick cancer in the ass and they become so resilient that they're going to mm-hmm. beat this and in the end a lot of times they often do instead like you were saying john i might have gone into that dark cave of oh my god this is it i need to get my life in order i'm not doing the things i want to do i need to retire early and travel more so and even balance yeah. you know and, and i want to be that resilient person but I kind of teeter-totter between the Right, two. and so what's happening to Juan? Is he freaking out? Like, is right. he, like, losing his shit? Excuse my French. <laughs> or, wait a second, he's in threat response. Let me try to support him. Let me give him some help now. Or let me remind him that he needs to pull yeah. back a little bit and take five. I often think if I distract myself, I get past that threat. It's not a bad idea. Response. But it, it is the radical acceptance of the highest order. I'm accepting that I'm in threat response now, so I need... I need 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. So the radical acceptance of the highest over order, <laughs> meaning there's something beyond above me that I can't control that is... I say radical acceptance because, remember, in the moment, the threat response works very well. It's fail-safe. Mm-hmm. Remember, caveman did not have time to say, oh, my God, am I going to get killed by that saber-toothed tiger? Or maybe I should just stand here and see if it goes away. <laughs> maybe I should no, try and feed it. it's fail-safe. Which would be my response. So it immediately <laughs> says, get the heck out of there. So... Right. I say radical or uh, radical acceptance of the highest order is because when you're in the oh my god the world's going to end and the, the U.S. government's going to collapse because of COVID, you really think that it's going to happen in that moment. You really feel that because threat response is working correctly. It's just the problem is is it works too long, and you it's have saving to, your all, life exactly. But yeah. we all together collectively to build resilience, we have to be able to get the executive brain back online. And That's say, so interesting. Whoa. The fail safe is your, you know, the, the threat response is your fail safe. It's your lifesaver, but could also be something holding you back. It could drive yeah. you crazy. It could drive you crazy. Yeah. I was thinking about that as we were going through um, in preparation for this podcast mm-hmm. and we were talking about at the beginning of the year, what do we want to talk about? What do we think it's important? What we reflected on the new year and we said, well, we can't do a podcast about um, about uh, your New Year's resolution because no one had a resolution. We were just happy to have arrived. <laughs> we, we were we were wanting to keep going forward. And Sean, our executive producer, brought up this topic and it and gave us wonderful research. And I was going through it, and as I was reflecting about mm-hmm. resilience, there are a lot of other things came up about, um, of course. And we want to get into it a little later. Um, resilience on a personal basis, also on a professional basis, because of course all those areas were challenged because of, of COVID in the last two years and what the effects has had on the economy. But then I thought about um, some of the the, 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 uh, the aspects that hold us back, like this threat response, and w- when change happens, what that does to us, and we become stuck. And I. Uh, I think I read something about the the identity paralysis, which is one of the, mm-hmm. the problems. And, and how do we do that? People who either lost their jobs or chose to change their careers, although it was a positive response. So perhaps if we can get into the pers- professional piece of it, yeah. it was a it was a positive thing as we're reading about the the great resignation, people making a choice. I see that as resilience, believing in themselves, right, wanting right. to do something different. And as I think about that in this in this context, I thought, well, there's still change there, and there's still probably some some fear there because these people are changing their identity. And I thought, well, mm-hmm. what have I done that has mm-hmm. challenged that? Because I've had a profession for a long time, and I thought Same about my here. divorce. Right. Well, th- but, but remember, building resilience isn't always making huge decisions like that too. Mm-hmm. It's paying attention to little things like your threat response is activated when you can't find your keys. No. Or you're late for an appointment. 
-hmm. or you think you left your car windows open overnight, that's threat response. Why would you worry about that? It's just a car, but it could be Mm -hmm. damaged and then you're going to have to pay for it. Mm -hmm. So another way to look at it is that threat response is the central nervous system smoke detector. So it goes off sometimes um, and it feels like there's a gun to your head, but nothing's going on. It's kind of like you think the house is on fire, but actually somebody just burned some toast. Mm. So it's like that. So we have to teach it that, and that's difficult to do. But if I start on small things and I build resilience around little things that usually stress me out, but I don't realize it, and I only focus on the big things, then I'm not doing resilience. Mm, So good point but we have to focus on the little ones too. You were talking about the divorce, Cecilia. I was thinking, I was thinking about in my divorce. I That's thought, hard to be resilient about. It, it is. And, <laughs> and what I thought about it um, was, so I guess I'm fortunate that uh, being of a certain age, I, I thought I didn't have a lot of identity tied up into my marriage. And by that I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a professional woman. I am very clear as to who I am. I've been uh, fortunate to grow up uh, in a very loving family, I have very loving friends. I'm, I, I would say, a, a very happy person. Mm. And even though, thank goodness, a divorce sometimes can have a lot of devastating aspects financially and in other areas. I don't have children, so I guess I'm, I'm trying to make an excuse for why I shouldn't have felt. I'm hearing myself talk right. to wake up as I did in the middle of the night sometimes and think, okay, I'm in my 50s and and I'm single and what does this mean and and try to deconstruct that mm-hmm. because I had an image on my mind as to what I was going to go into uh, this part of my life so in some of the mm-hmm. research that Sean uh, provided us there was um, this uh, individual gave some some tips about how you let go of of an image or an identity that you have around a particular job or your status of marriage or single and it's not by suppressing that or putting negativity around that, but by creating another thought or another goal or another mm-hmm. new you, another... An alternative An alternative. Yeah. So, um, so that's me giving compassion to myself for mm-hmm. maybe not having this identity anymore or giving myself compassion for beating myself up about not having the identity. Well, that's... <laughs> that one too. So yeah, maybe that was just one thing that you beat yourself up about. Let's pretend it was just one thing mm-hmm. per year. Think of the people that have 50 things all day long they beat themselves up about. That's not being resilient. You're not having the self-awareness. The awareness is, oh my God, I just spent the last 10 minutes beating myself up about things. So again, the resilience is the small things too, but identity would be a big one and an important one. So if we were thinking about it from a professional basis, and um, we'd love to to hear if, if you've, without of course jeopardizing any, any confidentiality, but if you've ever had to support someone that says, I want to make this radical change in my life professionally, or I just did, and I'm I'm afraid. What are some of the things that people who are uh, thinking about changing their careers because what this has provided them this 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 time during during COVID to to decide what makes me happy? Because I think uh, there's a lot of positivity to make a change, but there's a lot of also uh, fear. And how do we do that yeah. in a more resilient manner? So like any big decision that you make in your life. Mm-hmm. That would be, be a big one, start mm-hmm. a new career sure. at any age. I try to help people separate you know, um, uh, executive brain thinking and when it's offline. So irrational with the rational. And so I ask them to separate what we look at, the fears and the facts. And I ask them to ask the question, 
you know, is this thought that I'm having that I'm never going to succeed in this career or I'm making a huge mistake, mm -hmm. is that a stone cold fact or is that my interpretation? Mm -hmm. Is it my opinion about these mm -hmm. things? And of course, you're asking around and you're getting support and you're giving yourself compassion for also trying something new. And if it doesn't work, you don't put it in the right or wrong category. It's not, ah, that was the wrong thing to do or that was the right thing to do. You take out the right and wrong and it's just simply phenomenon. You know what? I'm going to try this this year and I'm going to cut myself some slack and whatever happens, happens. And I just tell everybody in my life that I'm going to do that too. So I take away some of that pressure for mm -hmm. it to succeed. So what I'm hearing, John, here is that um, part of finding your resilience is also letting go of any shame that might come with what you were just saying, letting people know, hey, this is how I'm going to handle this and this is how I'm going to move on, right? And trying to. I know it's difficult for people to do that, but if I tell people that I'm trying something and I would love them to give me love and not put pressure on me so that then I don't pressure, put pressure mm -hmm. on myself, I can still hold myself accountable, but... I take away the right or the wrong, and then I cut myself some slack. And we've been seeing this a lot. I've seen it with friends, with family, and with patients of mine that I've seen in the last year and a half, where people are transitioning into new careers, new jobs, mm -hmm. or not working at all and having to deal with being idle, which is horrible if, you, if you're not mm -hmm. good with idle time. And then people who have been shifted in their, in their jobs, and they're either working from home or they were working from home, and now they have to go out in the field. So there's so much going on. and. Um, I think that Cecile's point is a good one, that it mm -hmm. does come down to identity as well, whether you're getting a divorce or you're changing careers or you're moving to a different state. Uh, these changes are not things mm -hmm. that uh, we as a country were ever used to. I mean, this probably hasn't happened this intensely and since World War II. And I think it's so hard, too. I mean, when somebody asks you in a, in a job interview, like, you know, what do you bring to the table? Who are you? Identify yourself. Yeah. Even me now, at, you know, my mid-50s, yeah. It would take me a minute to, to figure, well, who am I, you know? And, and that's a good point to bring point. up, John, uh, because in the professional world, everybody, companies are struggling with the what they call return to an office plan. Mm -hmm. Just simply, when do we bring people back? They come up with one strategy, whether you agree with it or not, there's always a pushback in one direction or another, which just simply tells us people are still afraid they're they haven't found the right answer mm -hmm. uh everyone as a group can't decide whereas before we never thought about it you went to the office it was the exception people that worked from home so i i i have a theory that working from home is a hundred percent as it feels like it is now in certain industries is not sustainable i don't think human beings really? no i don't and it's not because i don't believe for the long term for the long term mm -hmm. and it's not because i don't believe that culture in a firm can exist, um, and which is what our clients, uh, the work that we do with U.S. Executive Search, our clients feel that they can't have the culture they want if people are not in the office. I don't agree with that. that I makes think sense. I think because I think it's it's not proximity that creates closeness is the way you engage in the type of relationships you create with people. I think we as humans are hardwired to spend time with each other so we must spend some time together with each other but i think you can create a culture if you have people uh not always in the office only on a, on a portion of the time so i don't think it's sustainable in a long-term basis because i think people as human beings especially mothers uh, working moms or even couples with children or even couples without children mm. both people working in the house yeah. all day long is too much but how do how does how has having to work uh, remotely affected people's um, 
resilience, people's ability to deal with things. Not well. And remember, you're talking about people that maybe even have a spouse or kids at home. What about the people that live alone? That really affects them. And those people, maybe they're okay because they don't have to commute anymore and they don't have to go into the office. But there's so many different variations of that. Mm -hmm. And remember, not a lot of people have the luxury of re-entry and going back to work. A lot of people's companies and businesses closed down. So there was no re-entry. You know, so, you know, the, the mask whiplash back and forth, it's safe, it's not safe. Um, so, um, yeah, it's a really good point. Uh, I've seen it um, give people double depressions. I've seen people have higher levels of anxiety because of this. It brings up old trauma. Um, and then you have what we talked about um, many, many months ago, this complex bereavement disorder, which hopefully we're not going to see a lot of, but it is possible where people have so many mounting losses that it's hard for them to ever come out of it. And then they just kind of give up. You know, John, I have found myself quoting you. Uh, I think sometimes I call it compounded instead of complex grieving. Um, And I think I I use the word compounded because that's what it feels like. One thing on top of another Mm. on top of another. I have found myself sharing that with people so often over the past year and a half since you shared it with us because that is really what it feels like in this volume back and forth from uh, in office, not in office. So what would be some of the some of the things that people, what other tools can you share with us, John, that, that people can use to be more resilient? And, and let me just throw one more thing at you. As I was thinking about resilience, there's also, it becomes a cascading effect for me of other things that I think are born out of or come out of other maybe uh, unintended benefits if you become if you choose to be more resilient and take a proactive approach to to strengthening your ability to overcome I, I always think that people maybe who are more resilient perhaps are more optimistic maybe see the the glasses half full mm-hmm, versus half mm-hmm. empty is is that am I making a, a wrong connection? not at all not at all that's an ability and that's not strength it's just an ability to practice mm. that you know and um uh, action has to precede motivation. So look, we already talked about... Um, wait, action has to precede motivation. Motivation, okay. right. I you like can't that. wait to have the motivation to get out of bed. Mm-hmm. The goal is put the alarm clock in the bathroom. Like if, let's say it's your phone, so that when it starts to ring, you have to get out of bed and go to the bathroom. You're already there, and I jump in the shower. So it's kind of like that. You have to plan that mm-hmm. from before. Something you said, John, too, um, when he was talking about uh, people who have families versus the singles... Um, some of my coworkers and some of my friends who are single and live alone are the ones who have vocalized to me that they can't wait to get back into the office because of that very I, thing you're talking I'm about. One of because them. I'm one of I them. have to go into the office, I have to get out of bed, I have to jump in the shower, I have to feed myself, I have to get in the car, make sure there's gas in it. So the 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 coworkers and friends who have children who are now saving on childcare and the kids are around and there's they can still be moms and dads and mm-hmm. work. They're the ones that are in less of a rush to get back into the office. That's right. But I have noticed that with singles, and I have heard particularly one friend where um, somebody saw him recently, and he looked heavier, and he just looked sad at the supermarket. He was by himself, and so for him, mentally, is, is not a good good it, thing. It's less stressful for me to get up in the morning, shower, eat, get in the car, go to work, mm-hmm. Say hello to everybody, go to Starbucks, finish my day, get back in the routine, car, and right? then come home. Yeah. That's that gives you energy because you're so doing something. That's so interesting, but especially you, in a city like Los Angeles. Right, that's because if you stay home all day long, you end up working longer, and then you don't have a bookend to the end of the day to say, ah, my day's over now. Right. Now my evening starts, and oh, I can't wait to get home. 
You don't have that. It's There's one no day, separation. One day overlaps yeah. over another. That's true. That's one of the when in the when we coach our clients um, through how to create the right policies to create a a in office remote work um, for their particular companies. We we always are, are very delicate in the way we tell them that. Uh, well, at first they were using return to work, and we say you you that's wrong. Return to work underlines that you think that they haven't been working these past mm. few years. Return to office. Return right? to yeah. office, and and the facts are that people do work longer, as is evidenced by the fact that productivity went up, which is great for the company. But the 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 fact is, as as you're saying. As an individual, as the employee, you have to find again that way to self-regulate to create exactly a process or mm-hmm. maybe a maybe a, a schedule that'll help you. Do you think part of it is the novelty of it? Something new. You're working from home, so you're more productive. But once the novelty wears off, and you get into the day to day, and you start thinking of, as you were saying, John, there's no end to my work day. There's no start to my evening. Maybe productivity would go down. Maybe you should go back to the office. Well, for me, the novelty was I don't have to pay rent for my office anymore. Ah. I thought, wow, I'm going to save That's so much money. That's a good novelty. But ask me that now. I'm ready to pay rent again and You're go back. <laughs> I want to go back. I miss it so much. And I will eventually as soon as – I mean, a lot of psychotherapists are holding back on doing live uh, sessions. They're doing it, but – a lot of us are holding back um, for good reasons, but soon. But I just wanted to say, you asked me about other ways to continue to, to yes, build resilience. Please. So again, we talked about um, uh, self-regulation, mm-hmm. the most important one, and monitoring emotional reasoning. And we talk when, about that for a lot of different things, right? That's a right. A lot of different things right. in your life. When your for executive brain goes off and then you have to work to deactivate it. Mm-hmm. Another two points are a practicing gratitude and spirituality. So let me just say, practicing gratitude is really important because... It's very easy to focus on what you don't have and what you think you should have, and nobody focuses on what they have. Sorry, you always focus on what you want and what you should have, not on what you have. Um, and Is so it like focusing, John, on what you don't have? Because you know, I, I know I mentioned my mom a lot on this podcast, but I went <laughs> back uh, for the holidays. She kept focusing on what she doesn't have. Right. She kept saying, oh, um, somebody... Uh, so-and-so's friend has children who come over all the time and take her out to lunch and do this and that and do this and that. Like, I have to say, Mom, um, think about you have two successful children. You know, one lives in California. One has given you two grandchildren. We're both healthy. And happy. You're healthy. You can get around by yourself. You're 83 years old. I had to, and I could see that almost like she was looking at me with a blank look in my uh, In her face? In my face. Um, But I wanted to, Remind her, don't focus on what you don't have because what if you compare, you despair, which right. is something you taught us yes, we love a long it. time ago, which I right. repeat quite a bit mm-hmm. as well. Um, so, so resilient yeah. people practice gratitude. So yeah. um, in the Dalai Lama book, The Art of Happiness, he says everyone compare, compares themselves to people that have in the morning, the people that have more money than them, a bigger yeah. house, a better career. But we don't compare ourselves to the less fortunate. Now, um, that's what I did with my the mom. The easy way mm-hmm. to do that is that, every, and I tell my patients to do this: keep a pad of paper next to your bed, with a pen, and when you wake up in the morning, start out with three things that you have that you appreciate. Like I have two sons; they're both successful, yeah. and everyone's healthy. That shifts the brain into, you know, the reality-based thinking, which is, 
oh my God, I have these things and I'm going to start my day with that. So gratitude is very important. Mm -hmm. um, and also spirituality. Now, I don't want to sound woo-woo. I'm not religious. Um, but spirituality <laughs> is really important. And spirituality is, you know, starting to do again the things that you stop doing, things that you love to do like hiking and spending time with friends. I know COVID has stopped a lot of that, but reintegrating that kind of um, awareness about nature and things that music and things that make you feel good. Um, uh, it, it's not necessarily having a religion or going to church, but it's it's creating that, that calm mindset that, you know, there's something bigger than me out mm -hmm. there and I don't have to control everything. Mm -hmm. It's that kind of thing. And so resilient people have some spirituality and they have gratitude. Would for it lives. be dance for you, Cecile? You, you, it, you often go to yeah, that to clear your mind. It's definitely dance for me. Uh, I know, Sean, for uh, you, it is hiking. You hike Runyon Canyon right. every almost every morning. Um, and he's nodding yes, and <laughs> and uh, and he uh, and, and it's and he I think it's almost a meditative process for for him. Yes. For me, I don't know that it's a meditative process for me, and I don't know that I'm even capable of meditating. Uh, with, with you tried. I've tried. tried. I've tried. But uh, maybe it's not hiking. Maybe it's something else. So for me, dance is it. It really releases that. And and it's interesting when when you guys were talking about looking at the good thing. I have an emotional reaction when people say practice gratitude, and I know it's a conversation I have in my in my head. I immediately go to Instagram and people saying uh, hashtag, hashtag best life, best life. Blessed. I'm blessed, blessed. Mm. And I think that when people say that. I'm blessed, I'm blessed. I stop and think, do they really mean it? Do they really stop and understand? Mm -hmm. Are they, they're blessed. You're blessed about what? Or are they showing off is but, what you're saying. Yes, or are they just saying it because that's what you're supposed to say. But right. then, as, you're, as I'm hearing you say that, I think, well, another way of saying gratitude, um, for me, I also think in my optimistic way, I, I was born in a, a Catholic and practiced being a Roman Catholic, and I, I consider myself spiritual and religious, but somebody recently asked me uh, because of things that have been going on in my life, and I said, well, my religion is happiness and goodness and kindness. Mm. That's my religion, and that's what I choose to focus on in my life. When I feel really bad about something, I do stop and think. Um, okay, but I'm going to get beyond this because I'm going to do this. One of the things that I do when I feel really bad or when I feel scared about business or I feel that something very challenging, I proactively choose to do something kind for someone that doesn't expect it and I, for whom I, I expect nothing of. And, and the process of giving gives me joy. She feeds us, John. <laughs> well, beyond that, right. yes, I do feed you. And, and so, I feed the squirrels. And, and so you could, a great spiritual thought is, I wonder why that is. Why is it that when I look at a sunset, I feel so good? Seriously. Really? Everyone's going to say, wow, because it's beautiful. But why are you affected by beautiful things? Why are you affected by music that moves you? You could say, well, it's connected to my past. But what about new music that you hear that you've never heard before and it moves you and you groove to it? What is that? So if that mm. makes me feel good and I don't do those things and I don't notice sunsets, I don't notice the stars at night, I don't notice the vastness of the ocean, I'm not thinking spiritually. So if I start to notice those things, that creates resilience because, oh yeah, I had a bad day today, but you know what? I live in Southern California and it's really nice here and I'm lucky. Mm. So uh, spirituality uh, uh, or religion, and I think it also, in my mind, it ties to what you said. 
surrender to the you said it earlier surrender to the to the, the greater high, the, power the, the greater radical power. acceptance of the highest order yes yeah I think that's part of it is just saying it you know is. there's something bigger than me and yes. I'm grateful for it and and this too shall pass what other this tips too do you, shall pass this too shall which pass I, right yeah. and my motto is this too shall pass sometimes it passes like a kidney stone <laughs> <laughs> but it does pass it does if you Take Remember care of that, yourself. Cecilia. Oh God, Remember yeah. That. I, I, I have, yeah. I, I have a collection of kidney stones uh, that I can think about, but that I have successfully passed. Uh, but with- I like what you said before too, which is um, not everybody is positive about things, but you can practice to be positive about it. I can say this COVID pandemic is the worst thing in the world and we're never mm. going to get out of it and it's never going to get better. Or you can say, you know what? It was probably the worst thing that's ever happened to us, but my community came together really well and I've built some great bonds with people. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to take that for now. And then I focus on my day and I focus on things I have control over. That's another one. Taking care of my kids, going to work, maybe working on my house, building a new studio. Yes, like that you was, did. That, thank so you. So that's, that's part of being resilient, you know? Keep calm and carry on. There's a lot of um, truth behind truth that. Truth right? behind that. Yeah. Carry yeah. on. And you know, that is why I did this. I, I converted the garage into the podcast studio because part of the energy and the, and the, the sense of loss that I was going through and the heartbreak mm. of a divorce, I, mm. I, the, the first night I found out why I had chosen to ultimately get divorced, I wanted to drag my bedroom bed out through the French doors and set it on fire. Mm. Um, and I actually thought about that at two o'clock in the morning, that if I started to set it on fire, I thought, well, I'm going to potentially get the house because it was a it's a very heavy old Spanish bed that I got rid of. And I remember thinking, so it's gone. It's, it's gone. gone. Okay. That was the first thing to go. Um, so I actually thought if I drag it out through the French windows, French doors, mind you, really heavy bed. I'm super strong, but that was an irrational thought. I thought, but you know, if I if I burn it, I could ta- catch the house on fire. That's not going to work. Oh, I'll hold the water hose in one hand. You really thought this? I, I thought wow. this through, and it felt like reality wow. impossible to Didn't me. Didn't know that. Right. So, and I thought, well, I'll, I'll burn it. I'll water it down. It was crazy. So I pushed through that, but I think as, as we're talking, I think that sense that I wanted to just beat the hell out of something, just beat the shit out of something, that's what this the, the garage was. I... I mean, when the, the contractor showed up and we started taking things apart, at one point he said, here. And he, I took the sledgehammer and I just just beat this place down. And you also painted the inside of your house, which yes. makes it more light and bright. And it just, it's there, there's an uplifting but feel. But light and what bright is not what I was going after. I was going That's after a, a pain and yeah. and get it out. And yeah. the because in my mind, I wanted to do this. So, so that was the vector. That was the the focal point, but my path through there was I needed to exercise. Right. So you were in a kind of threat response. I got to get this bed out of here because I got to get the bad juju out. I got to get it out because it's no good. And I have to crush it and slam it and destroy it. Set it it on fire. Right. So for a little while, a little while you lost a little bit of your executive brain functioning, but you gained it back. And and instead of burning it, you decided to just donate take a sledgehammer it. to it. I donated it to, <laughs> you donated to it. have it to, to humanity. Yes, but it right. would have, yeah. And that's... who knows where that uh, bed is today? It doesn't <laughs> matter. Happier life. Maybe happy, it's firewood happy. for somebody. See, there yeah, you go. See, there, there you go. But you were talking about pessimism, and I was thinking about that. I was thinking, so are pessimistic people less resilient? 
and what can they That's do a good question. to become or is that a according to this theory people that are more pessimistic are unaware that they are more often in threat response unaware that they're in threat unaware response. because remember if i worry enough about something mm-hmm. maybe bad things won't happen my father was like that he was born depression era and uh, he always said, you know, if you're not worrying about things, money, you know, your your colleagues, mm-hmm. uh, your schoolwork, you're going to fail. And you're on the fall flip behind. side, there are people that think if I worry too much, I'm going to bring it on. I'm going to bring it. That too. Into my life. And maybe those people can shift that into positivity. So the mm-hmm. point is, yeah, resilient people teach themselves to think positively. and Or uh, to be optimistic. Or you said that's Or to be optimistic. Another- and the pessimistic people, you know, you, you ever meet somebody that's always pessimistic? Yes. Oh, yeah. Why would somebody be that way? The, it's painful. There's, some, there's something that they're, they're getting a benefit out of being pessimistic because they think that that's going to make them safer. What kind of benefit could that be? Is it just feeling safer? Or? Well, remember, if I worry about everything all the time, I'm going to take precautions to protect myself. So they're afraid that if they let go of that worry and that pessimism, bad things will happen. Right. So they're attached to it. But higher awareness, like we're talking about of the highest order, says, wait a second, but that doesn't serve me well because I infect everybody else around me and I create much more negativity by doing that. Let me practice being resilient and practice looking at maybe even the silver lining, even though I hate that expression. That's good to know. And even if you do know pessimistic people, because I've often thought there's so many voices in this person's head, it must be exhausting to constantly be pessimistic and constantly bringing themselves down but they're in a lot of pain. Maybe have some compassion for them. But I they're never thought l- that they were unaware of how mm. uh, pessimistic they were. I, I will tell you, my, my sister's going to possibly crucify me for this, but one of my sisters is in a stage of her life for a lot of different reasons, I think. Crossroads. Huh? Where she is just, everything is negative. Everything, she goes from zero to super aggravated in a, in a nanosecond. And... She, my other sister, who is very tough, um, but very genu- generally a very happy person and, and will tell you what she's thinking, she was telling me that uh, my sister had happened to come over um, in the morning a couple of days ago. And she said she came in and she was flustered and she was frustrated and she was everything was negative. I asked her if she wanted a cup of coffee and there was a problem with the coffee. If I asked her if she wanted some juice, it was that and everything. It was just she said everything I mm. said was just negative and and when she it's left exhausting. Yeah. And she said when she left, she said, I was shaking. She needs to practice gratitude. Yeah. Because and remember gratitude immediately creates abundance that has been there all the time. You're just not aware mm-hmm. of it. Watching a sunset, going on a hike. Putting a spotlight on it. Yeah, putting a spotlight on it. That's mm-hmm. a great way to say it. So um, abundance is something that I have to cultivate by heightening my awareness of the highest order. So uh, there's also medications for people that are extremely pessimistic and negative because the limbic system's not firing right and maybe the anxiety is causing them to get depressed. So there's there's help for a lot of people like that, but they need behavioral techniques. Is it helpful? Because my sister was saying, I kept telling her, but it's okay or... Don't worry about it. I just poured it in the cup. She said, oh, I told you I didn't want it. And you poured it. Oh, my gosh. Now you have to wash the cup. It was, you would think that she would have to pave a, a road to China because she poured it in a cup. And she But said, is that minimizing the your sister's So that's my reaction? point. She said, every, my other sister was saying, everything I told her, it just kept upsetting her even right. more and more and more. Right. And, and Because at that point, they can't help it. It's just part of their daily routine. 
And so when they do hear, I don't know that she felt this way, and I know you didn't mean it that way, but if someone says, just stop worrying about it, they'll say, well, if I could, I would. Right. So it's sometimes a little bit um, minimizing of them. So what other tips can, can we um, share that will help us? The way I think about it from our profession, there's such a, a close proximity from professional life to, to personal life. As you can tell, even just asking you questions, I weave in from one to another. Um, but what else can you share with, with our listeners that will help us as we start embracing a new year? We, we're in month two already, and there's a lot of noise about the, the, the variant and, and when things are open, when things are not going to open. Companies on the professional side are talking about back, uh, back in office or jobs report was great. A lot more people mm-hmm. uh, took on jobs than expected. So there's a lot of change and a lot of movement. And as we've talked about, change even in and of itself can, can trigger people's emotional response mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. reaction because it's, it's change. We have a complicated relationship with change. Yeah, I mean, I want to go back to also what Juan was talking about, and I said earlier that we'd mm-hmm. come back to it. It's also the socialization. We have been mm-hmm. deprived of touch and our socialization needs. So another thing, another way to build resilience and to have higher awareness is my relationships. Am I building on them? Am I reaching out? If I'm alone, am I asking for help? Am I connecting with people? Um, you know, isolation at this time is... It seems like, well, I can't help it. I live alone and I'm quarantining mm-hmm. or whatever, hunkering and bunkering. But, you know, we went through that year of that, and now you don't have to do that. You, you can can't, reach out, a text, a phone call. Exactly, right? you can reach FaceTime. out. So what am I doing? How am I getting my socialization right. needs? So what are, what are our socialization needs? You said we. You said as, it before. As humans we, have socialization we, right, needs. Right, we don't live in a vacuum, and so we work better in an office. Mm-hmm. We work better collectively. We're very good at that. Um, there are some people that would rather work from home and they have social anxiety, their fear of being mm-hmm. negatively evaluated by others. But again, we, we, were, we evolved inter, with an interdependence with each other. And so we need that. So those needs are, you know, imagine all the teenagers that didn't get to go to school for a long time. For yeah. two years. Or proms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ask or any parent what that event. was like for them with those yeah. kids. That yeah. was not good for them. Two yeah. years. That's right. That's right. So... That's another a really, really important point. I ask my patients, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, I have nothing planned. Not uh, good. No good. No good. You so, got to do something. So something. we should make a plan to be... Structure. Structure to be more social. I was reading that um, one, of the, one of the things that human beings do spontaneously uh, after prolonged periods of loss or trauma, civil unrest, n- natural disasters is they spontaneously break out in dance and song. That is a, 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 a kind of a global human unifier. And so then I started reading these articles about um, people, and I, I know because I dance, and that's my, my go-to, um, and I thought, well, because it's such a primal expression. We see it in football games. They start, you know, they spike yep. the ball, and they start dancing. It's such a primal thing for us to express ourselves. So uh, yeah. maybe making a plan to find ways to go back to into connect. your own society, mm-hmm. your own social network. But with others too. That mm-hmm. was the hard part about the pandemic. Mm-hmm. You can tell somebody to go, go on a hike, but if you go alone, it's still good, but it's not as good. Think about all of the cultures in the world. What do they do when someone dies? They, they gather. Together. All come mm-hmm. together. Look at... Um, and it's almost been two years now. Oh, it's been more than two years when Kobe Bryant passed away. Oh, my gosh. All of these thousands of strangers coming and hanging out in front of the Staples and Center. And sobbing together. Mm-hmm. And not Men knowing each other. Sobbing but together. But they had this thing in common. So um, 
the pandemic is similar to that. We're still all grieving. And so I'm not saying we all need to gather at a square, but reach out. Everyone is going through what you're going through and yeah. you can gain so much solace, so much universality by doing Mentioning that. Mentioning Kobe, out. they just did that a couple of weeks ago. Um, two years later, hundreds of people showed up at Staples or now a crypto.com arena mm -hmm. um, just to share a moment with each other. All wearing their Lakers jersey and their oh, Kobe. I didn't know that. I didn't inside, know that either. Inside Staples. Um, no, outside. Just, oh. just literally outside. And, and some of them were upset that the uh, arena didn't do something more mm -hmm. formal. But they just gathered on Chickhern Way, which is the street that runs between uh, Unplanned, the arena. Unorganized. And they just showed Nokia up. Center. And they just gathered for a while and shared stories. Yeah. I guess it's just yeah. a human yeah. trait. It's in our DNA that we huddle well together. So um, come During together. difficult times, yeah. Come together to share our our grief and and our pains and find resilience in that mm -hmm. and i i want to take a moment to talk about one way to do that which um i'd love for you to tell us a little bit about it and it is this wonderful event that you produce mm -hmm. Uh, tell us about that, Please tell us about that. Ah. I, because I did go online, and I thank you for sending that. And I did I did go online, and I saw some of those, uh, my brave stories. And I think that it does take a certain amount of bravery and belief in yourself to mm -hmm. choose to be optimistic, to choose to be resilient. And no better way to do it than coming together with others in finding a community. So please tell us about this community that you're creating that helps people come together and so, be brave. Thank you. So it's a nonprofit, 501c3 nonprofit. Mm -hmm. It's a charity. And it's called This Is My Brave. And they're at thisismybrave.org. Mm -hmm. And thisismybrave.org. Correct. And we'll yes. have that information on our, our website, too, in our show notes. Yep. Thanks. Mm -hmm. So what their goal is to end mental illness stigma. They want to mm -hmm. bring the conversation of mental illness to the spotlight instead of it being in the shadows. Um, they are creating more candor about um, mental illness, more unashamed conversations. Mm -hmm. And the way that they do it is, and they've done over 60 shows uh, in the United States and in Australia, is they produce live theater shows where people, and they have to audition for it, people mm -hmm. with mental health conditions tell their story about their life with mental illness um, via song, dance, monologue, uh, they do it via comedy. The comedians are always the best. Oh. Um, and I was in, I was a participant in the 2017 show in Los Angeles, and I told my story about anxiety. Uh, but mine was monologue, and there were other types of um, performances. So the next show is going to be in Los Angeles, September 25th, and I am producing it, co-producing wow, it with another therapist named Karen Pickett. And so, yeah, and so we're going to be holding auditions starting in, probably in May. Mm-hmm. And then there's going to be rehearsals all the way through till September. So it's a great organization. They're pretty big. And, um, you know, they've brought a lot of people together. And it, just the whole process of getting people together to contribute. Everyone does it volunteer, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, culminating with the show. And, and at the show, there's tables with people, you know, advertising their organizations. And everyone's networking. It's just Do you have a venue already great for event. this show? We do. Thank you. Uh, it's going to be at the Broad Stage in Santa Monica. Oh, nice. Wow, great which is stage. A beautiful theater. Great stage. Yeah. So it's going to be an amazing production for you to be at the Broad. I mean, yeah. Just, it's it, about 500 people. Fantastic. Um, we'd love to be there. That'd well, be great. you can count on U.S. Executive Search to be... A supporter of the organization Thank you. for sure and of course ends with z because it's one um mm -hmm. one supports the other i think it's it's a wonderful thing that you're doing I, I i must tell you 
the process of this podcast, the process of creating this environment for us to talk about what matters, what's important, what helps us become mm -hmm. better humans, has really forced me to be much more compassionate about mental health. And certainly, of course, the pandemic has has done that. For sure. Um, I think I'm a, I'm a compassionate human being, but I think I had some blinders when it came to or some preconceived notions and some judgment about mental health in the in the in the sense of I, I used to just think, well just choose to be stronger. Just be stronger. Snap out of it. Snap right, out yeah. of it. Like like right. Cher said when she slapped <laughs> Nicolas Cage. Snap out of it. Yeah. Um and and uh, Moonstruck. And, and those are the people that struggle with uh, building resilience. Mm -hmm. Those are people that have, you know, clinical types of, of illnesses, depression, bipolar disorder. And so what we talked about today can apply to them, but that's a little bit different. Mm -hmm. They are on a different level than, than a lot of people. And But still, I see it as diabetes or asthma. It's a variant of, of genetics. It's a variant of your environment. It's a variant of how you were raised, your wiring. And remember, my, my quote is, you know, the only normal people out there are people you don't know very well. <laughs> you know, once you get to know them, yeah. everyone's got their stuff. We all have our baggage. The, the you know, most normal person chill. is the person you've dated on one or two dates, maybe, right? Exactly. Um, so I guess the, the takeaway here, the, the, the good news about resilience, whether professionally and mm -hmm. personally, is that it's something you can build, something that you can choose and take steps to become more resilient. And a cascading effect of that is, uh, positive, more positivity, more optimism, uh, better way to cope. You self, have the power. Self-awareness, that's right. Self-awareness. That's right. And, um, and that it's a multi-step process. And as always in life, you can get stronger by doing it together. That's right. Well said. You always, you always. She always buttons it up at the end. Buttons nice it up, together. dovetails it. It's the analyst she, she's in the me. closer. <laughs> it's the analyst Cecile in me. Cecile the closer. <laughs> because that's part of my personality. I've got to understand it. I've got to be able to put it together. And I've Distill got to. Distill it down to the basics. And I've got right? to take action. Mm -hmm. John, it is always such yes, thank a you. pleasure and such a, um, a, a, a very gentle, very knowledgeable, very loving way to guide us into facing some things about yeah. ourselves that maybe we're not aware of, giving us the space and the kindness and the support to choose to start tackling them and as always inviting us into a community. So you are always welcome back to the Community Events with C. Thank you for joining us and we Thank can't you. wait to have you back. Thanks for having me. It's always fun to be here and I love the new studio. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And that will bring us to the end of another episode of Ends With Z. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you hear, please share and tell your friends. You can find out more about us at endswithz.com. For Cecile Munoz and executive producer Sean Moe, I'm Juan Fernandez. Have a good one because above all else, you matter. Mm -hmm.